Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So really, really thankful to have my very good friend, Philip, here today with us. So just a little bit of background about Philip. So uh, I think me and Philip, uh, we, we go way back, and it's been a long time uh, since I've actually caught up with him. So uh, we were in university, having <laughs> together. It feels like a very distant reality, actually, like a you know, long, long era before this. But, you know, uh, I've been catching up with him recently, and just a little background about what he's doing right now. So uh, his name is uh, Brother Philip Nuri Golomes, and he's currently a student brother at Holy Name Province in California. And he's on the show today to tell us a little bit more about his discernment story and his journey towards his uh, current vocation. So hi, Philip. Very, very happy to have you here today. Hi, Nicole. It's so glad to be back in touch. Yeah. So yeah. would you like to let us know a little bit about your, your story of discernment and, and vocation? Sure. Um, I grew up uh, not far from here. I'm, I'm in Oakland, California now, and uh, I grew up in the Napa Valley in California, which is just a short drive away. It's a wine growing region. And uh, my whole family was Catholic and we, uh, we were always very closely connected with Catholic schools. So I think that I always had this awareness that uh, priests were a thing, <laughs> that they existed. <laughs> uh, that was never something that my family necessarily encouraged a lot. I think that they would have loved to have seen me go on and have a really successful, stable career. Uh, and, I, and I couldn't blame them for wanting that for me. Uh, but uh, this was something that was on my mind from an early point. Um, not necessarily in the most serious way, you know, in the same way that a lot of little kids might want to be their favorite superhero or a character from the Lord. <laughs> when I was 11 or 12, I got really interested in Renaissance art because I was looking at a bunch of articles on the Vatican museums. And I started mm. thinking, well, this Catholic stuff is really cool. I want to get closer to this. And so that became something that was uh, more personally important to me. Um, and then uh, after, uh, after all that, I graduated from high school, uh, and then I, uh, I did my undergraduate studies at, uh, at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, which is sort of America's best-known Catholic institution of higher learning, um, and uh, it was just a really exciting, wonderful time, and when I was there, I started thinking about things more seriously. I started meeting a lot of priests who were not diocesan priests like we had had back home, but who were members of a religious order uh, and, and seeing what that was like with them living in community, uh, having a particular identity and spirituality that they lived out together. That was really instructive. And that was something that really caught my attention. And so when I was, when I met you, uh, when I was in graduate school at the London School of Economics, uh, that was when we had a Dominican chaplain for the Catholic Society, Father Jose Manuel. Yes, yes, Father Jose. He was the first uh, Dominican friar I had actually met on a personal level. There were <laughs> Dominicans who were uh, graduate students at Notre Dame when I was an undergraduate, but I didn't know them particularly well. So I, I got to know Father Jose, but then I went to Rome for Easter. And wow. 
we, uh, I was in a pilgrimage group that was going around to all these different basilicas on Holy Thursday. This may be a tradition that's popular in, in various parts of the world, but in Rome especially, on Holy Thursday when the Blessed Sacrament's removed from the tabernacle and then set up in an altar of repose for people's veneration. Mm. Um, um, it becomes a tradition to go around to different churches in the area and stop in for a brief moment of prayer. And we were going to all these different churches in Rome. <laughs> and one of them was Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, uh, which is the burial place of St. Catherine of Siena, a very famous Dominican woman from the 14th century. And I remember as soon as we opened up the door, uh, looking down the aisle in this church that was dark, except for some candles flickering and seeing one of the friars in his hood, uh, in, in his hooded habit with his hood up. <laughs> and I couldn't even see his eyes, right? Because the shadows were over it. But then this moment that I finally made this connection, like, well, I guess I could do this. Um, this is a really exciting thing. And I think that part of the, the first, I, I always had known about Dominicans, I guess I knew about Thomas Aquinas and I knew about Catherine of Siena and Albert the Great and all those people. But, you know, I never had made a personal connection before. And that, that uh, oh, perhaps I could be a part of that, that group, right? Uh, people hear about religious orders all the time. People probably know that there are Jesuits and Franciscans and all that, but you know, they don't necessarily think of themselves as members of it. But that's when I started thinking of it that way. Um, and uh, I didn't do anything about it for a while. <laughs> but I asked friends about it's it. Very typical. Yeah, it's very yeah. typical. But I, 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 I asked some friends, well, what do you think of this? They said, I've always thought that would be a great thing for you. And I, and I was started to think, well, that would have been nice if you had said something a while ago, but okay. <laughs> and uh, so over the, the course of the years after that, I was living and working in Washington, D.C. And, uh, but uh, periodically, I'd make trips out to California to to visit the the friars here. The, the Dominican order is all over the world, but it's organized in provinces. Uh, and so I'm a member of the Holy Name province, which is based in California, where I grew up. Um, but its territory is sort of the whole Western United States. And uh, so I'd, I'd come out and visit, and I thought this is this is great. I, I really like this stuff, but I I always had this uncertainty. I wanted to know that I was ready, right? And that is a yes. hard, that's a hard thing to, to nail down. Um, and I, I think that I'm just not a risk taker by nature. <laughs> so uh, Play the idea, of, yeah, the, the idea of taking big leaps does not appeal much to me. Um, the Danish philosopher Zorn Kierkegaard says that you, you have to take leaps, right? That uh, reason would only lead you to believe that the world is this hopeless, bitter place. And so if you want to have any joy or, or hope, you just have to take this leap of faith. And that's the only way to keep yourself from going insane. I don't know if I quite agree with that. I am more, more along the lines of St. John Henry Newman, uh, who has this idea that reason is a great thing. And, and reason... Uh, reason is a real way of knowing, and but it's eventually going to lead you to a point where you have to accept certain truths that you can't necessarily observe with your own eyes or touch with your own hands, and that's where you need faith. And uh, that's the, the, the most significant decisions you make in your life. There's always going to be an element of faith there, and 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 probably the the it's more of a faith-based decision. The more important the decision is. Uh, when, uh, when two people are getting married and they say, uh, you know, I, uh, for richer or for poorer, or for better or for worse, that's a statement of faith. They don't know how much richer or poorer they're going to get, right? Uh, and, and so 
there, that was the thing that held me up for the longest time is I liked my life in Washington, but, and, uh, but I, I always knew that this was something I wanted to try at least, right. Mm. But uh, there was always this sense like, well, what if it doesn't work out? And, and what if I don't really like it? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I think that part of, of what eventually got me to go and, and try it was, I, I think the, the realization that I, it was never going to be off my mind. Right? Mm. I was never, I was not going to come to a, a point where I would say, like, okay, well, I guess I've explored that enough. You know, I, 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 as much as I tried to think about other options and find other jobs, <laughs> <laughs> and, and find little distractions. I kept coming back to this sense that uh, this gospel, that's such an important part of my life is something that I need to share with everyone. And, and so that uh, being a part of, of this tradition with St. Dominic and St. Thomas Aquinas and, and all of the other Dominicans through the centuries was really the, the place where I could be the most full realization of what God created me to be. And I think that that's the essence of what vocation is, right? Is that yeah. we all, we all have uh, a, a fullest and best expression of ourselves. We know ourselves, we, we're trying to find who we are when we're at our best. And I, I think that me at my best right, is the kind of person who should be pursuing this mission uh, of preaching and teaching and yeah so we, we call ourselves dominicans because we were founded by saint dominic but we're you know the, the formal name is the order of preachers uh because that fundamentally is what we're about is is going and and proclaiming the gospel and in in it, it both in the literal sense of preaching right and but then in teaching in a classroom or writing or whatever whatever else it is so yeah, I, it was a, uh, it was one of those things where there, were, there was a seed that was planted and it took a long time to really bear fruit. Yeah. I think working in God's time is uh, a very interesting concept yeah. for us. And yeah, I think I really like uh, what you brought up actually about a vocation, about how usually people have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, indecision and insecurity when we are making these big decisions, but you actually invited right. us to take like a really big leap, even though you can't see the far end, right? And you don't really know right. what's going to happen, you know, in the next few days and the next people are like planning, you know, they want to plan, you know, a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. And, and sometimes I real, I kind of feel that that's not very realistic. Uh, I think it's more important to really like uh, move where the spirit leads you. And I feel right. that, yeah, the spirit really has been, been leading you, I think, on, on this very long journey people think like, you know discernment is like a it's going to be a snap decision that you make you know overnight you're going to receive uh some sort of like indication from the lord or something but like for you it's been a very slow burn yes right? it's sort of like this desire to serve him and to, to evangelize and i think a lot of people who are also discerning vocation you know whether it's religious life whether it's married life or 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 you know as, as a lay person like for for a lot of us i think we always think whether we have made the wrong decision you know, like, oh, you know, am I going on the wrong on the wrong path? Or, you know, am I making like some grave mistake? But I think what, what you've demonstrated is like this openness, you know, like an openness of mind and heart to to what he 
he wills for you. And I think I would, we would love to hear more about the Dominican order because he just started, you know, uh, educating all of us about yes. what the Dominican order is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it'd be great to come back around and talk about the five-year plan too, because I think that that is a, yeah, that's one of the, the great attachments that is, that's hard to let go of in our time. But um, yeah, um, so St. Dominic de Guzman lived around the same time as St. Francis of Assisi uh, in the 13th century. And he was a, uh, a, a canon of the cathedral in a, in a town in Northern Spain. So, uh, you know, he would, he lived in community and, and prayed the liturgy with the group of other priests who lived and were associated with the, the local bishop there. But like many clergy during that time, he would sometimes have uh, political engagements as well. So he was part of a group that was traveling through Southern France uh, did I say Southern Spain? I meant Northern Spain. So in Northern Spain, and he travels through Southern <laughs> France. And, uh, and while he's there, he runs into a lot of people who have come under the influence of the Albigensian heresy. So this was a, a movement that taught, among other things, that the physical world is evil. Uh, and so it's, it's inspired by Christianity in many ways, but it sort of rides off the rails because it has this idea that, that, everything material is sort of this prison and we need to be liberated from it if we really want to know God. And uh, Dominic was moved by the devotion of the people who he met there, but he was also really disturbed by how these misconceptions about the truth of the Christian faith uh, were, were sort of oppressing the society that he, he, was, he was seeing. So, you know, we really want to emphasize Jesus really became human. And that's a, that wasn't just an illusion. He, so our human condition is good enough for, for true God to inhabit fully and completely. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a dignity to, to human life and to the human person uh, and, and to the physical world that is a necessary thing to understand if we want to understand the truth of what God has revealed. But the biggest point was, was, was just truth itself. That was that became the motto of the order that Dominic founded, Veritas. Right? We want to go wherever in the world there is ignorance uh, about the gospel, and and to and to shine the light of true doctrine there. So in the in in Dominic's time, there were Cistercian monks who were responsible for going to this part of France and, and preaching. Uh, but uh, that was becoming a bit of a distraction from their life in the monastery. So what Dominic did was found an order that retained a lot of the elements of monastic life. So we wear a habit. We, we, uh, we pray the Psalms together many times. We chant them <laughs> several times a day, right? <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, we, we try to observe silence in different spaces of, of our houses and everything. So we, there's a, there is a, dimension of our lives, we want to have a lot of that identity like monks have. But instead mm. of manual labor, our work is to go and preach uh, through whatever means are, are available to us. And uh, so in the earliest days, that meant just going around by foot to different villages and everything and preaching to whoever would listen. And then <laughs> over the year, and there are still a number of Dominican friars who uh, travel around to different parishes and stop there for a weekend mm. and preach at all the masses. And, uh, but, uh, 
there are also uh, Dominicans who uh, who run parishes uh, and they become sort of centers for people who want to get instructed to come and enter the church. There are Dominicans who work in direct service to the poor because that is that is uh, where you really put the gospel in action. You do some of your best preaching. Uh, and Dominicans are also really noted for this long intellectual tradition of being present in universities. St. Thomas Aquinas yeah, most famously, right? Um, yeah. so, uh, so you can preach through teaching and through writing. Uh, and so we have this idea that the study of philosophy and theology doesn't, doesn't have to be and probably shouldn't be just an academic exercise because an encounter with the truth is an encounter with God, ultimately. And so when we take on this discipline of, pre of preaching and study, um, we, we have this sense that we are encountering God through our study and then sharing that encounter through our preaching. Um, the phrase that, that uh, St. Thomas used is that we contemplate so that we might share the fruits of our contemplation. That is, uh, that's the essence of our vocation. Um, and because most of us are, because our, our, so much of what we do is preaching, most of us are ultimately going to be ordained priests <laughs> on top of things. Yes, right? you're, you're, yeah. really, you're, you're on the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have about an eight-year program of, of formation, which is a combination both of the formation that you might receive just as becoming part of a monastic community, learning to live together, learning to pray together, learning to take care of a house together, <laughs> uh, but then also taking classes in philosophy and theology and uh, managing a parish or a college chaplaincy uh, so that you're prepared to do all of those things as well. Yeah, I think like uh, a really like amazing thing that you just highlighted about the Dominican order is that you you use your fruits of contemplation to go out, you know, to evangelize mm -hmm. and to bring to bring God to others. Because I feel like you know sometimes people think, oh, you know, I only you know encounter the Lord in very specific ways. But for you, you were saying that you know besides just also going to various parishes to preach, sometimes you know the gospel in action is also like uh, our works of charity and our works of mercy. Uh, right. for various communities yeah so I, I think it's a very uh, interesting history uh, of this Dominican order that you have you know so graciously educated us on because <laughs> I, I think over here maybe in, in, in this part of the world sometimes we might not have an accurate knowledge about all of the the various you know religious orders and communities out there and we always think that okay priests I uh, mean you know a diocesan priest for example that's because that's the type of priest that usually we interact with right when we are when we go to church Right. And, and marks and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's very, very interesting that, you know, the Dominican order has this very rich, as you were saying, you know, intellectual tradition, like St. Thomas Aquinas and, and many different uh, other uh, predecessors. And, and thank you also for telling us also about your discernment story. But I would, I would really want to pose this question to you, though. Uh, like right now, you know, looking into the future, do you still feel like very worried, very uncertain about, about your vocation? Are there any things that still remain on your mind? And do you have any advice also to anyone who would like to discern this particular vocation? Uh, right now, I feel as confident as ever. And That's there's, been, <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a lot of peace that has come into my life in the last year since making my first vows with the order. And 
I think a lot of that comes from letting go of this attachment to freedom and to being in charge of my own path. Uh, right, we were talking about the five-year plan. Earlier. Yeah, the five-year plan. <laughs> we all want to make our own five-year plan. Um, but, you know, the, the trap of the five-year plan is that it, you know, makes you start feeling like things that aren't oriented towards your goal are just wasted time. And yes. that, that, you know, there's nothing that's going to change in the future. What's beautiful about, about our life, especially when we think about making a vow of obedience, um, is that uh, all, I, I know where I fit into the picture of all the madness that's in the world, Right. There can be, there can be pandemics and wars and civil unrest and and uh, economic crisis and and all of that, and it can be so overwhelming. I think, what am I going to do about all of this? Well, I know I know what I'm going to do about all of this. I'm going to be obedient. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> going to so I'm going to carry out whatever it is that my 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 own vocation is. Because that's the best thing I can do for anybody else is to be is to do the best possible job at what is clearly enough my responsibility. And there is a lot of peace that comes with that. And I think our, our first year is called the novitiate. Right. So we don't take any classes. We don't really have any regular contact with the outside world, so to speak. Um, we are very focused on just learning about the order, learning about who we are, making this decision about whether we want to make uh, an initial commitment. Because you make temporary vows before you make um, lifelong vows. We call them simple vows and then solemn vows. So it's so there's an issue. You can leave any time and you can be asked to leave at any time. <laughs> and then at the end of that, you make a first profession of vows. So two years. I've just finished the first of two years. Mm-hmm. And then... In our province, um, then you, you can renew for up to three years, which is what I plan on doing, but we'll mm-hmm. see. <laughs> God willing, right? Yes. Um, and then after that is, is solemn vows. Uh, s- during that novitiate, I had all that uncertainty of like, what should I do? Maybe there's some other better way that I could be living my life. And it, But as soon as I made the decision, yes, I want to make that first commitment of vows, I've, it, it has I'm not going to say every day has been wonderful because it's still real life, right? But I, I have had more peace and more security in just not knowing where I'm going, but trusting that God's in charge of where I'm going. And that has made all the difference in my life. So uh, I, I, I think that where a lot of the insecurity comes from to get back to your question. <laughs> uh, I, I think where a lot of that comes from it is that we have, we have this world of possibilities. Yes, we have true. All these, no choice. All yeah. these options, right? And it's overwhelming. Uh, a, uh, one of my classmates uh, is the is the part of the first generation of, of a family that escaped from Vietnam. Um, they were boat people and, uh, and came to America after the, the communists took over the South and everything. And so he was, he always grew up hearing that America is the land of opportunity. We're very proud of that. <laughs> right. 
And yes. to the left, great, but man, this is a lot of opportunity. <laughs> sometimes, yes, so much. <laughs> sometimes I just, opportunity is the last thing I need, right? I, yes. uh, and I, and, and is in, in our time more than ever, right? Because we have this, this whole interconnected world and it's wonderful in many ways, the things that we can do, the fact that I can be talking to you in Singapore, yes. I'm sitting here in California, right? That's yes. great. Those are, are wonderful things that we can do. But when we have all these options, we just get this sense of like, we've got to gobble them all up. Like we're at a big buffet and the, the, that can get so exhausting. And I, I think the other thing that, that inspires a lot of the insecurity, a lot of the doubt that people have when they're in the process of pursuing their own vocation is that we, we are looking for a kind of clarity that this life doesn't always necessarily afford. We want to have like a notarized written message from God, <laughs> no yes. ambiguity in it, that this is what you are supposed to do and this is what it's going to look like. Yes. And so that's what we should be looking for when we're discerning. Mm. Uh, you know, so I always think about uh, Mary in the Annunciation. Gabriel tells her, yeah, you're going to conceive a bear a son. And he's going to be the, the savior of the people of Israel and, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He doesn't give her a point by point plan about how everything's going to go for the next <laughs> every year. No, which he, I imagine no, he would have liked. Right? Yeah. You know? I'm sure she would. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, that's not what he offers her. Right. And so she, the most perfect disciple ever says, all right, let it be done unto me according to your word. She doesn't necessarily know what she's going to sign up for, but she knows that, that God's the one who's calling her. And I I think that sometimes we're looking for something that overt. We're looking for an angel to appear to us (laughs) in the middle of the day. I, I think that, um, I think the way around that is to deepen our image of God. And I think the way around both of those mm-hmm. things, both, the, you know, the, the options problem and the certainty problem, because the, the great, great Dominican uh, who I think is forgotten too much of the modern world, blessed Henry Suzo. Uh, he wrote very beautifully about how, when we say God has a plan for you, we're not just saying that God has created the universe in such a way that he's not going to be totally unfair when things get around to you. He, in his infinite wisdom, is able to provide for you as if you were the only person who mattered. So no. there, there's, there, he's not limited, but he doesn't have to make these trade-offs, right? He's yeah, bound by the lines of logic because he can't contradict himself. Um, yes, but he, um, he, he's, he's not going to make you take one for the team to use an American expression, (laughs) right? He's really trying to do what's going to be the best thing. The best thing for you is going to be the best thing for everyone else. So, so the way sometimes, what's that? Even though we don't see it sometimes, we don't think it's it's the best, you know? Right. Um, so you really don't have to have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And as as far as the certainty problem goes, I think that sometimes we have this idea, another great Dominican who's living now, Father Gregory Pine, he does a lot of work with Matt Frad. He uh, did a great presentation on vocation where he says, we think of vocation as like the secret. And, and <laughs> discernment is this little game we play 
where we try to see if we can trick God into revealing it to us. And the reality of vocation is that it's always right in front of us, right? Vocation is, is not the same thing as your five-year plan. Vocation is where God's calling you right now. Vocation is this podcast. Vocation is yes. the adoration I'm, I, I'll, I'll be going to in, a, in about half an hour. Uh, vocation is, is each little way that God is calling you to follow him in, in each moment. And if you can be faithful and, and consistent in following him there, eventually I think that's going to reveal to you the path of the big picture vocation. And sure, there are times where you do have to make plans and you do have to make some firmer commitments. But I think that the stress of that is so much less overwhelming if you can just take it one step at a time. So I, yes. I, I think those are the two big things that, that inspire a lot of our doubts and insecurities when it comes to vocation. But I think that the solution to both of them is really thinking about how God is present and active in a loving relationship right now in whatever moment of your life you're in. Thank you so much, yeah. <laughs> Philip, for like yeah, reminding us about these very uh, simple truths about vocation, about you know, thinking about the here and now, uh, mm-hmm. about you know, really surrendering to the general plan and not trying to uh, needle the Lord for too many details, right? Which is very much like Mother Mary, who just says, you know, let it be done to me according to thy word. Yeah, and reminding us also that vocation is like a, it's a daily process. I think we are continually discovering it, like we're taking out you know, parts and pieces of the big puzzle so that we see how everything fits together only at the end of this life. Like, right. I wanted to share this, this uh, qu- uh, quote also by St. John Henry Newman. He said that, you know, we may not even know our purpose uh, in this life, you know, that we have been put on this earth for. We may right. only know the next, but we still trust him in this process. Like, we still trust him even in our suffering, in our joy, and in and all the two sentences that like life actually takes us on. Like, we still trust him because we know that he is actually... Uh, making all things good and he's he's actually perfecting his plan within us uh. and really thankful yes. to have you here today i know that you're going for your uh, adoration in, in half an hour but thank you so much for for making the time to be with us here today and you know really sharing and breaking bread about you know where you are in terms of your vocation and in your discernment so thank you very much philip for being with us today Thank you so much, Nicole. It is uh, a real pleasure. And uh, I, when, when I, when I get to adoration in, uh, in a little, a little, yeah, in that half hour, <laughs> I, uh, I'll, I'll be, uh, I will be praying for you and, and uh, everyone who listens to our conversation that hopefully the, 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 the truth will be revealed to them little by little as well. <laughs>